one of us is a filmmaker podcast. Woohoo! It's, uh, it's me, Orion, joined by... Cassia. Cassia, uh, the uh, filmmaker. Who else would it be? True. <laughs> we haven't had a guest on. No, it must be rectified. Maybe we should do that. Our sister was very upset that she wasn't included in the Matilda movie throwback episode. Yeah, maybe we should have included her. Yeah, maybe we should have, but... Shoulda, coulda, woulda, mate. Shoulda, coulda, woulda, next time. Yeah. If we do Matilda again. Oh, yeah, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> well, you never know. And also, there's other films that our sister loves. To be fair, she's a, a, a big filmie as well, just not of, like, the same sort of things that we watch more generally. Yeah. But, yeah, the nostalgia-wise, yeah, she probably is up for it. Like, especially more the stuff you watch, because you're closer in age than me and you are. Yeah, like, if we do A Little Princess, for example, oh, yeah. I'm sure she'd be all over that. I always think about uh, American Girls. Oh, yeah. They didn't really have movies, though. They did. They did, but, like... Not as iconic, really. And I don't uh, think many British audiences are going to understand who American girls are, so maybe we should just will, swiftly move past that, swiftly uh, move past uh, that. Uh, swiftly <laughs> move past that. Um, but that, unfortunately, is not the topic of today. And unfortunately, it's a bit sad for Cassia because whenever <laughs> this person gets mentioned, there's always a, a tear mm. and a tough time for Cassia on the, on the horizon. It is. Um, but today we are talking about Mrs Doubtfire. Oh, my God. Uh, one of Robin Williams' classics. Oh, um, fantastic I, film. I love Robin Williams so much. He was so my childhood era. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, I don't get upset really about any celebrity deaths. Mm-hmm. But I remember I was at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2014. I was queuing for my uh, boyfriend's acapella show. Oh, and big stuff. somebody was tell- talking behind me in the queue saying, oh, have you heard Robin Williams died and all this? And I could overhear and I was like, in my head, I thought, that, that can't be true. So I checked on my phone and I saw the article. I was like, no, yeah. it was a moment. No, but I was much more sad than I've ever been for, again, as I say, any celebrity death. Yeah. And I was just like, that, I don't know, it made me feel really old suddenly. And oh, yeah. just like time is changing, time is moving forward. Mm-hmm. What we've learned for sure is that he was a very tortured soul. And it's just sad that he he made all of us so happy. But he couldn't make himself happy or, you know, had those struggles. And that's very sad. It's kind of the classic... Um, I'm not sure if this is the right word to use, but like the the gifter, like the, that sort of personality where it's like they're so good at um, uplifting you. Uh, yeah, uplifting others, but they just aren't able to or don't want to or for whatever reason can't deal with their own issues. Yeah. Um, and I guess in a way no one else could for him because he he must have worked with so many different people over so long. And, you know, like there's those clips of Robin Williams ways with um, what was the uh, gorilla? You know, he like... Mm. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, he Coco? like... Coco? Yeah, Coco. And he, he spent a lot of time with her. And one one of my ironically f- funniest things I remember about Robin Williams is um, when the 3DS was released, Nintendo 3DS, they released oh, the Legend yeah. of Zelda Ocarina of Time remake. Mm-hmm. And um, they got this girl to start playing it. And I was like, who the heck is this girl? And then Robin Williams shows up and he says, oh, that looks fun, Zelda. And apparently he named his daughter Zelda after yeah, Zelda from, like, the Link games. Yeah, there was so. an interview with them where he was, you know, people used to ask him, oh, did you name Zelda after Greek gods or whatever it was from? Yeah. And he's like, no, it's from the game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's from the game of Zelda because I loved it. That's really sweet. He seemed like a very sweet man. And he's just a comedic genius. Yeah, yeah. There's no denying it, everything he does. But he's also a great actor. Like, I know we're specifically talking about Mr. Doubtfire today. Yeah. But overall, his serious roles, he can do creepy, dark, 
everything. Yeah. He's a chameleon. He is a chameleon. In the way that, like, I've I've found... Ah, oh, it's so annoying because the films where those types of character, those types of people are best are in those non-comedic roles. But Mrs. Doubtfire is really good because it blends those two. He's able to play the kind of funny guy, the funny dad, but also able to bring real gravitas to it, like yeah. in a way that's so hard hitting. Yeah, and I think is why Mrs. Doubtfire is so memorable for people is not necessarily because, oh, it's a Robin Williams film where he's jokey and he's doing, you know, it's, it's not Flubber, right? <laughs> right? But, no, it's not Flubber, no. <laughs> it's not Flubber, but, like, it brings, like, the gravitas of something like um, Good Will Hunting to mm. the role whilst being able to do his iconic comedy. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, do you want to give a quick overview of Mrs. Doubtfire? Because we are specifically talking about that today yes. and you are the best with uh, your overviews. So. Am I now? You are. I, th- I think so, my... much better than I am. True. Yeah. I won't even lie. Yeah. I'll take that compliment. Thank you. Sorry. Well, first of all, if people don't know Mrs. Doubtfire, it is a comedy, comedy drama. I say it leans on the side of comedy drama a bit. Yeah. Although it was ranked number 40th best comedy of all time in a list of 100 best comedies on Bravo. There you go. Yeah. Amazing. Well, yeah, pretty good. I don't know how old that list is or yeah, how outdated, <laughs> but still, never mind. It's pretty good, too. Yeah, it's good. And it was directed by the one and only... Chris Columbus. What a legend. Legend. You probably know Chris Columbus's name. He directed Harry Potter, the first two mm-hmm. films. And he also directed loads of things. Home Alone was his big break, but he's also a screenwriter. He's the one who wrote The Goonies. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say. We chatted a lot about Chris Columbus in episode two of One of Us, yep. the Filmmaker, season one. And he also wrote The Gremlins. Yeah. So he kind of had that relationship with Spielberg and then Home Alone was when he first got to direct his big thing right, right. on his own and obviously that took off. He's done loads of films. Yeah, I haven't seen him do like a terrible film. I mean, I've look, I'm looking at his list of all the films he's done. It's looking pretty good. It's looking quite good, yeah. There's there's a few random ones on there. Well, but, I mean, you know, who, what filmmaker doesn't have a random film? Yeah. I see here that there's a rom-com, which we must have missed, with Hugh, Hugh Grant in it. Hello? Nine months. What is this? Never heard what? of it. Never seen it. Did it. Are you sure it even released? 1995 Comedy Romance, hour 46. So we have done a bad job in our Hugh Grant research there. Oh dear. Nine months. Ooh, 25% on Ron Demise. Yeah, but to be fair, neither Ooh. of us had seen it. No. Or so, I mean, yeah. He, I'll, oh, I'll look us. how classic rom-com Hugh Grant this sounds. Ooh. After his girlfriend announces that she is pregnant, a child psychologist gets the jitters at the impending lifestyle change. He turns into a commitment-phobic person, which leads to troubles galore. I mean, if that's not Hugh Grant all over back in the day, yeah. what is? We're not talking about Hugh Grant. No, but all done uh, there. But we, we've kind of gone down the rabbit hole with that one. Yeah, we have. Let's bring it. Let's reel it back into Chris Columbus and Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. So yeah. it came out in 1993. Mm-hmm. Euro was born. Yeah. Uh, it didn't release in the UK until 94. Mm-hmm. And it stars, of course, Robin Williams mm-hmm. and Sally Field as his wife. Oh, she's classic. Robin Williams plays a man called Daniel Hillard who has three great kids. He's just a great father. Mm-hmm. And he's a struggling actor, but his marriage is very much on the rocks. And so they decide to divorce, but because he doesn't have a home yet and not a stable job, he doesn't get any custody apart from one day a week. Which is difficult, really difficult for him. Really difficult for him. really he's close been... to his kids. And essentially what happens is that his ex-wife is looking for a housekeeper. Mm-hmm. And so to spend more time with his kids, he decides to go full-on drag and become Mrs. Outfire. The role of a lifetime. Role of a lifetime. Yeah. So he can spend time with his kids. And as you can imagine, 
Hiccups. Wacky things ensue. Yeah. yeah, wacky things happen, hiccups happen, mm -hmm. and it all comes spilling out. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually, it's a nice resolution at the end of the story. Yeah. It's not a perfect resolution. I feel like a very glorified, Americanized version of the story could have been that he gets back together with the wife and they become a family again. And it's not about that. It's about embracing the fact that divorce happens and doesn't mean that you can't be a new version of your family. Mm. I actually and, think the real resolution comes with the mum mm. because the mum kind of embraces selfless love, understanding that for the kids, yeah. this is better for them. They have to get along. And yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, and he, she has to be open to them spending time with him even mm -hmm. though she's angry at him. And yeah. obviously he did a, a bad thing in pretending to be a housekeeper and spend yeah. time with them I in, think in I, disguise. But Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think what makes Mrs. Starfire quite difficult to watch is um, that it's, it's like we've said, this sort of comedy, mm. but actually it's, its themes are extremely real. Yeah. And and it deals with a lot of topics that I think a lot of kids will understand Related. and a lot of like troubled parents, I guess, you know, difficult relationships like and and not just having a difficult relationship, but the actual consequences of that difficult relationship and what it means for both people in that relationship but also for the kids exactly it's and appa apparently christopher columbus had other scenes in the film which were much darker in terms of how the divorce affected the kids mm -hmm. and actually Stu was originally meant to be mina more of like a villain role right um but then they sort of changed it to be a bit lighter and i think it actually works better this way because it's more realistic yeah, yeah. you know you have stepdads possibly come in or step parents and they're not evil people, but you as a child, you're automatically going to be suspicious of them. And surely the other parent, mm -hmm. like Daniel, the dad is, is suspicious of him and not happy. Mm -hmm. But in a, in a kind of comedic way. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely yeah. done comedically. Uh, yeah. Some of his best lines are when he's talking with Stu. I think <laughs> yeah. their conversations have, I make mean, me laugh the most. Have we mentioned that Stu is played by Pierce Brosnan? Oh, yes. The Pierce Brosnan. The James Pierce, Bond walks He just in. sort of shows up. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's actually quite good casting. I think it's great casting. Which is really funny because... What else had Pierce Brosnan really he done? He was doing James Bond at the time. Oh, or, he was. Or was he just about to do James I, Bond? I thought that he hadn't done John's James Bond yet. Maybe it's just before. Maybe it was like 95 James Bond. Let yeah. us know if, if we're accurate but, on our James Bond timeline. But this Bond is prime, prime looker. Pierce Brosnan, you know, like yeah. he's looking good in he's this one. He's looking good. Yeah, he plays the sort of look lucky. That's called liposuction. <laughs> With his like raw six pack. And he's like, he's like, oh, I can tell from your swimsuit that that water is really cold. <laughs> uh, this episode is probably gonna have a lot of impressions. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's great because I think. So is your tongue. <laughs> it's because Stu gives. Robin Williams, a great person to spar off against. Yes, yeah, yeah. As the character. Because he's quite like a, a serious figure, Stu. He's kind of, he's not like intense, but mm. he's like a he's serious, he's decided he wants this family, he wants to be part of their lives. Like He's, he's a like, sort of sensible together person. Yeah, he's like a very, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and that's difficult for Robin Williams' character because it's like, <laughs> it's like that's not his life and he can't, he can't emulate that. Yeah. He just is him. You know, it's, it's, it's like he's competing with him, but in like a diff totally different way. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Those those totally are some of the funniest scenes. I know he, of course, Robin Williams improvised so much of that film. Mm -hmm. Apparently what Christopher Columbus would do is that they do two or three takes where they kind of did what was scripted. Mm -hmm. And then they did 
as many other number of takes that Robin wanted to do of him playing. Right. In air quotes. So he yeah. would just, you know, yeah. do whatever. <laughs> he's so he's so witty mm-hmm. to come up with stuff like that on the spot. I wonder how, what it was like for Pierce Brosnan, because I can't imagine Pierce Brosnan as an improv guy. Yeah, apparently, like, Robin just took fun in trying to make Pierce Brosnan laugh all the time. Right. <laughs> like, when he was trying to do serious stuff or just react to him. Yeah. I would find it. I couldn't keep a straight face. <laughs> yeah. Just so funny. Robin Williams' improv also could be difficult for the filmmakers and producers and things because, A, I think it could get quite X-rated. <laughs> it's just jokes. Yeah, yeah. And they were aiming for that PG-13 rating. And then also he would reference a lot of other things, so like other films or quotes, which you need clearance for to include in films a lot of the right, time. I see. So apparently they fought hard to get the, uh, you know, the line where he's looking at Miranda and he says, oh, look at you and your dances with wolves motif. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was improvised. Yeah. Right. And they had to clear that to use that line. <laughs> <laughs> like the rights from the film yeah, to yeah. use it in the yeah. <laughs> movie I'm glad they did it's a good line yeah no yeah. I mean it's great but it's not just them I mean I think the kids in it are some of the best kids, mm. kid actors because yes. their, their roles aren't overstated or heightened too much and you know I, I think we did mention in the Matilda episode in season one uh, this was Mara Wilson's first yeah it's you know, her, her debut film scene. yeah very good in it um, she's great in it great relationship with Robin Williams in it um, they, 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 because obviously she's the youngest. They seem to have like the closest mm. relationship, but that's mostly because she's like young and needs Five. more attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's interesting because the three kids kind of have slight, slightly different personalities all as well. Like the youngest, Mara Wilson's character, is obviously like just wants to have fun and jokes because she's really, really young. And then the boy, what's his name? You know? Matthew. Matthew. He's kind of a bit more. Um, sporty and outgoing um and like likes to really have fun in a and i use this term lightly but mm-hmm. in a sort of uh, man's way mm-hmm. uh, like uh, with his dad you know mm-hmm. um you know I, I understand the connotations of saying that but um then the eldest this is the 90s yeah exactly exactly and i mean there are some jokes like kind of that man's men's jokes in it that are don't fly now yeah they wouldn't really fly now but like in the context of the time. But then also the eldest daughter, she's a bit more reserved. Her name's Lydia. Lydia, yeah. Lydia, she's kind of a bit more reserved. Yeah, she is. And I think she's she. a lot of her emotion is kind of understated, mm-hmm. um, which is good because they it brings reali- like realism and depth to all the roles, I think, from all of them. They're all such great actors. Yeah. Like I said, it's really hard to get great kid actors, mm-hmm. and I think this film was very successful mm-hmm. in casting great kid actors. And I mean, how it'd be so cool to work with Robin Williams. Like, yeah. it'd just be amazing. And I wonder if, because I know that some of the lines that the kids ended up doing were ad libs as well. So oh, I right. they, he sort of encouraged it all, you know, they felt free enough. Yeah. You know, the one, the line where Mara Wilson says, Call Mummy a princess. That was ad libbed, apparently. Right, okay. Just sweet. Yeah. What's in big dysentery? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want mommy to die? <laughs> but her face is so sad there. All her facial expressions look so good. Yeah. There's no point where she looks even off to... You know, like, sometimes you watch kid actors who are very young and they're, like, looking off to the camera because, you know, their parents are probably there or whatever. Mm-hmm. She never did that. She was very engaged, mm. which is probably why I guess it cast her. Well, she's good. Yeah, she's I very mean, good. Yeah. Um, but also, Sally Field, I feel like is just super reliable for what she did, mm. um, like the role she is doing, um, because she has to balance that line of like being confrontational with her, you know, now divorced husband, but also being, you know, in love with this new guy, but then also being that 
not strict mum, but kind of being that responsible mum. I think you see over the film, though, that she she was sort of pushed to her limit while with Daniel. I mean, that's the whole yeah, revelation yeah. of the film, is that actually, even if you want parents to be together, they're not the best versions of themselves. Mm. And you see her change and develop over the film because she doesn't have that pressure of Daniel's the marriage. Yeah. And she becomes a better mum because of it. And Daniel learns to become a better dad because he's not with her, because he then cooks and cleans, take, takes care of himself, mm-hmm. more engaged with the kids. And if they hadn't divorced, would that have happened, you know? Yeah. Not just party fun parent all the time. Yeah. So you really see how they both grow. And I say the performances very much complement that. Mm-hmm. The, the scene you were saying that one of the scenes you really remembered from being a kid is when they have their confrontation in the... In the studio. In the studio. Yeah, just after, I always remember that. Yeah, it's just after, essentially, Miranda, the mum, has found out that Daniel's been pretending to be Mrs. Doubtfire, so they're in court. And she's basically awarded sole custody. Yeah. And he's only allowed to see them once a week with a court li- liaison, so like a supervised yeah. visitation. Because he, he makes this big speech about why he did Mrs. Doubtfire and how much he loves his kids and like, please don't take them away from me. And then the judge just is really despairingly just says, that was a great performance. Yeah, and, like, and I don't like, believe you. Yeah, I don't believe you. Um, but it, yeah, as you said, the next scene, or like two scenes later or something. Two scenes later, yeah, a few yeah. scenes later. But after that sentence has happened, you know, she realizes she's starting to realize actually he can he can't not be in their lives mm-hmm. so she goes to visit him at the studio and i always this is a really visceral scene that i always remember um even having not watched it for ages until recently i really remember the scene where they they start to chat and it seems kind of nice you know because they're t- talking civil you know like a civil conversation but then it comes out and he's like what do you want me to pretend everything's fine you you took everything away from me mm-hmm. it's like so real but they also managed to reach a sort of like understanding. Let's progress past our differences and our issues because right now the kids don't need that. They need strong parents, whether together or not. Yeah. You know. And she has to sort of swallow her anger and be like, even though I'm mad at you, like it doesn't matter because my anger is not wanting you to be with the kids, but that's not best for them. Mm-hmm. It's sad. It hits home. And the whole the whole ending really hits home for me. And I remember being a kid and just really... When Mrs. Doubtfire is reading the letter of, you know, what parents and families are like. And it doesn't matter, you know, if you don't have parents, if you live halfway across the world, Mm -hmm. if, you know, if you're not what people think of as normal, it doesn't matter if there's love, you're a family and it's just (laughs) hit home. But I think Chris Columbus, I, I think, has done this really well. And I really like when films do this, where they manage to find those moments in the film. And this is what leads to moments, right? Not necessarily intending to create it, but like they've created this moment where it sums up basically the entire message of the film, but in a really natural, organic way. Mm -hmm. And Mrs. Doubtfire reading out this note that's been given to her by Mm -hmm. a child who's watching the television because she's now got her own TV show, Mm -hmm. it feels like that would make sense to be said. It doesn't feel like, oh, that message is just out of the blue. Yeah. Even though it's obviously to sum up the film, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's so natural. And actually, one of the other scenes, now having rewatched it, that I thought hits really hard because... Maybe, like, we've had experiences of divorced parents, so we understand what it's like. But right at the beginning of the film, Daniel picks up his kids and says, oh, we're going to have a party for your birthday, for mm-hmm. the son's birthday. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, mum's not home for another four hours, so we can get away with it. But she comes home early. Then she shuts down the party. And the scene after that, directly after that, is they're cleaning up and they're arguing and the kids are just sitting on the stairs. Listening. You're listening. And it's, 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 the, it's the juxtaposition between, like, 
super happy, really good fun vibes, mm. and then immediately into the behind the scenes. Tone bit, which totally is, shifts. And yeah, changes. shifts tone shift like to actually this is what happens when you know all the fun isn't going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like almost like a facade, like a mask to cover up all the crap underneath. You know, literal. Yeah, literal. They're cleaning up the crap. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. It's like Chris Columbus is a good director or something. I know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Who knew? Funny. Yeah. We are talking about quite a lot of the serious elements of the film, but obviously it is definitely a comedy. Oh, yeah, it is It is a comedy, so we should talk more about that. Yeah, let's do it. And we have so many funny sequences. There's obviously Robin's great ability to do impressions. Uh-huh. I think all the scenes that he does with the court liaison are so good. <laughs> yeah. When they have their first meeting and he's, she's like, so you have any special skills? He's like, I do voices. And voices? She's, <laughs> she's like, what do you mean you do voices? Yeah. And he's like, I do voices. Yeah. Yup. And he goes into this whole long <laughs> it, it lasts thing. longer than I think it would. Yeah. Him doing all these different impressions lasts like a minute. But you think it should be like 30 seconds, but it just keeps going and it just keeps doing more. And then it ends with, I do a great impression of a hot dog. Yeah. Do you consider yourself a funny man? (laughs) I used to. (laughs) Now you've proven me wrong. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. And I like, we were watching that scene yesterday and that scene you laughed really hard at when he said that bit about... I used to find myself funny, yeah. but now you've proved me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because it changes shot, like it's the first time it jumps from this over-the-shoulder shot of her mm-hmm. straight close to him. Yeah, but he's sort he changed, of off-centre. And he's slightly off-centre. Yeah. And I think it's a great bit of directing and camera shot choice because it really just elevates that line he says and makes it even funnier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great directing there. I mean, that's what, yeah, exactly. It's not... It's not always going to be the writing that's going to make it land. It's going to be the way you make the performance of the writing, you know, shown on screen. That's what's going to make it land. Exactly. And that's one of, I think, one of the best lines in the film in terms of... Well, thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) very silly. Yeah. And then obviously the iconic scene where Mm. he... I know which one you're going to talk about. Yeah, he forgets that she's meant to be coming over. They go up and he's like playing off that... Daniel's in the other room. He comes out, says, "Oh, she makes my sister makes a great cup of tea." Yeah, and then she's like, "Oh, I'd love a cup of English tea." Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, I'll go get her." <laughs> and he's like struggling to play both parts to yeah. this woman who has no clue. <laughs> yeah. And he has to go in into the kitchen with no face on because his because his, his mask fell out the window. <laughs> <laughs> he gets run over, and then he's like, "I need a face. I need a face." And she comes in and it's like the water's boiling. He comes out from the fridge. Oh, hello, yeah, covered yeah. in the meringue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know the bit where he's <laughs> making the cup of tea? He's like, oh, you've got your cream with your sugar now. <laughs> that apparently was all improvised because the lights were so hot, the meringue was melting off his face. <laughs> that wasn't scripted. Right. It was just like he was pouring the tea and the, <laughs> the clumps of cream were falling into the milk. And then, the she, and then she like grabs a bit and tastes it and then puts it on her face to see if it would work as a face mask. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really iconic Mrs. Doubtfire scene. Yeah. And one of my favourite ones. In those sorts of moments, right, as a... Because you've acted a little bit and you also completely understand the director's point of view. So from the um, court liaison's point of view, how do you think it would be for them having to react to Robin doing all this? In the sense that, you know, like, do you think like picking up those bits and like putting on their face would be unscripted as well? Or like, do you think that they'd be told to do that? Or It depends on the actor. I think right. what you do is try and react to what Robin's doing. Mm-hmm. But then if Robin does something and you haven't got a sh- like a reverse shot yet on 
the other actor or whatever mm-hmm. you might like plan to do little bits so it's like oh, okay cool we had this whole cream dropping in thing maybe yeah. do try and do something with the cream at the end it'll be funny to end the scene yeah. they might like spar and come up with some ideas on the spot right or maybe the actor just does it on their own you mm-hmm. know because uh, she's really good as well i mean yeah. everyone's good in the film yeah it casts very well yeah yeah um, as well as good scenes, it's the iconic like one-liners that we've said so yeah. so many times. My favourite line from the film. All right, what's your favourite line from the film? Here we go. Um, no, do yours because I need to think about this. Okay. Do yours because I know you've got it in the brain. So. Yeah, my favourite line from the film is when they're at the swimming pool place and Daniel hears Stu Pierce Brosnan's character calling him a loser and walking away. Right. He's talking to someone else. And then... <laughs> Uh, Daniel picks up a fruit and says loser and then throws it at Piz Brosnan's head. Piz Brosnan turns around, like looking at Mrs. Doubtfire, and then yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire like ducks out and is like, Oh, I saw that was a that was a run by fruiting. Yeah, it's a good line. It's <laughs> just always makes me laugh so much. It is a good line. Also improvised by Ron Williams, no doubt. Yeah, I'm sure it was. And that's one of my favourite ones. It was a run by fruiting. I, I really like the one um <laughs> so this is when You've already seen Stu on screen at this point, but mm-hmm. Stu hasn't really been introduced to the kids yet. Yeah. And so Mrs. Doubtfire walks into the house, not expecting, you know, uh, the mum or Stu to be there. And uh, Stu's there talking to the kids and just hanging out. And Stu comes up to Mrs. Doubtfire and says, has a conversation. Stu's like trying to work out where Mrs. Doubtfire is from. And he says, he says something like, oh, your accent's a little, a little slippery. And uh, Robin Williams just replies, so is your tongue. <laughs> so nice. yeah I really there is I, again any moments between Stu and Mrs Doubtfire are some of my favourite bits there's yeah. the whole bit when they're at the table and everyone's left in the final scene of the restaurant everyone's left and it's just Stu and her mm-hmm. and he's talking about oh the expensive bubble just means you're obviously after one thing oh yeah and then he's like oh we've got a bit of competition here she's got a power tool in the bedroom <laughs> <laughs> really explicitly like doing a lot of um <laughs> What those things called? Yeah, bouncing around the subject, but saying <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. what it is. Innuendos, innuendos, so, yeah. so funny. But it's, it's how do you keep a straight face, Piz Brosnan? It's impressive. so good because Piz Brosnan is just looking like, what is going? Yeah, on? like what? I wonder if Piz Brosnan genuinely was like in his head, like, what do I say to this? Like, <laughs> do I just let this happen? Like, cause, yeah. Yeah. I think you just let Ron Williams do. It's Ron the, Williams, yeah. <laughs> and that's a. Those are very funny lines, mm. but. Not just with Stu, he's great with a lot of other people in the film, mm. evidently. I, I really like the scenes between him and Miranda as well when Miranda thinks he's Mrs. Doubtfire and they're just like in the kitchen talking. You know, the story so about... No, no, the funny stuff. Oh, the funny stuff. So oh. like when she's asking how her husband died and he's like, it was the drink that killed him. Uh, yeah. he's like, oh, he was an alcoholic. And he was like, no, he was hit by a Guinness truck. <laughs> it was literally the drink, drink that, that killed him. him. <laughs> and so, oh, like, how awful. <laughs> there are loads of like little yeah. funny bits. And I just look forward to those it's scenes. The bit where she's picking out a dress and he's like, there's a scarleton or a charlatan or something like that. Some Over like, a harlot. Over a harlot, that was it, yeah. <laughs> for the red dress but yeah there's so many good lines between them I just always find it like sad because for me it's more of a hard hitting film than a comedy film. obviously it's so funny and it mm-hmm. should be seen as a comedy but like I guess for me I always take away the sort of real moments of it because it, it, whenever I watch that film I cry yeah it's, at the it's end sad it. and, and I think I also I remember I watched it as a kid when obviously we had whatever we were going through and everything and I just remember how I felt at that time and I remember that film speaking to me yeah and it still speaks to me 
Yeah, I'm sure it's a film that many people would be able to identify with very strongly. Yeah, and I think it's it's got the great elements of the comedy mm-hmm. and the great acting and the funny side and everything. I mean, there is some, like we were saying, there's things that don't hold up that well. So it's, um, you know, it's it's not all perfect. Mm-hmm. And there's things that would change. Um, but How do you think it would have been for Robin Williams, like, playing someone that does improv as well? Do you think that was all really natural for him to sort of... For sure. I mean, it's kind of funny because... I think the whole irony of that first scene is they're getting mad at him because he's an actor and in the first scene he's doing this voiceover to a kid's cartoon. Which is really funny. And then he, yeah, and then he gets in trouble because he's improvising too much around the lines. Yeah. And that's like, what Robin Williams is known yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, it's quite yeah. cute. It's funny. But it's a really, and I quite identify with this because I'm always like, oh, about the message or whatever. But this um, animation is like promoting... Well, not promoting, but, like, one of the characters starts smoking a cigarette mm-hmm. and is forced to smoke a cigarette. And he just basically mm-hmm. walks out because he's like, I can't promote this to a bunch of... A bunch of kids are going to watch this and they're going to think that smoking is fine. Mm-hmm. Like, you're promoting smoking. And he's like, can I get a backup? And then he looks at the three producers and they're all, like, smoking, smoking away. He's like, turkeys. he's like, it was a rigged jury. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's yeah. funny. And there's, um, there's a mistrial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like um, the scene as well where he's doing the cooking for the first time. And one of my favourite... This is my other second favourite line, I think, in the film, mm-hmm. is when he's leaning over the fire and it starts burning. Mm-hmm. He's like, God, it's hot in here. And then he realises he's on fire. He's like, oh! And then he puts it out and he's like, first day as a woman and I'm having half fleshes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a funny line. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good as well. <laughs> one of my other... There's a moment which I know is improvised and I think it must have been so funny and how they all kept their faces without laughing was when they're at again at the dinner table this whole end scene at, well not end scene but towards the end when they're at this dinner party mm-hmm. and then it's he's kind running, of the, 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 the like reveal it's so farcical the whole like yeah. night but the bit where he's at the table apparently his teeth coming out and going to, into the drink was not scripted it just <laughs> happened and so apparently all the reactions from all the other cast around the table was very genuine yeah <laughs> and then Brosnan just like Tries to get it out with yes, the scene. Yes. Snap, snap it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just makes me laugh. There's some, like, logic there where it's like, he could have avoided that whole situation if he just rang around on the day being like, oh, I'm terribly sorry, I can't come, I'm so sick. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously we don't get the fast call fun. Yeah. So, and I mean, it's just, yeah. it was weird because I think part of that scene, mm. he was worried about being seen as the dad, but that didn't really make necessarily a huge amount of sense because obviously it would have been, you wouldn't want to see your family with your mum, but it wouldn't be like... I think it's, I think it's, I think the only reason he hid, he's, he hid now was... Because he thought maybe they would get suspicious about him being missing and then... And missing in, and sort and of seeing Doubtfire. him going back but and forth. But if he had rang up in the more, in the day as Mrs. Doubtfire saying, I'm not going to dinner, and then him being there, I think that would have been fine. Yeah, like, I don't think they would have noticed anything. Yeah. But that's, like, film... That's, like, logic that you probably would have as a human, as a character in the real world. But that's boring. That's not... doesn't yeah, make a good film. Not, yeah, it doesn't make doesn't good. doesn't make a good film. So you, so just, really have you have to take these things with the... Pinch of salt. Yeah, amazing there's, other, there's two other sequences in the film that I think are very iconic, which we haven't spoken about yet. Um, the two I'm thinking of mm-hmm. is, first of all, the the transformation scene. Oh, yes. Where he's with his brother and his brother's husband and they do all like, the little songs yeah. and everything. When he tends to be Barbra Streisand. Yeah, yeah. And fun fact, he did not know that song, so apparently the director literally just taught him the song on the day and was like, 
we do the Barbra Streisand moment. He was like, I don't know this song. So he just talked to him and then yeah. he did it. Don't tell me not to live. Yeah. So funny. And um, just the whole makeup scene. I remember loving that as a kid when they try the different looks mm. and the the facial prosthetics and everything. Yeah. Can you make me a woman? Oh, brother, I'm so happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could not remember who that voice no, was. No, yeah, the whole time we were watching, you were like, who's that voice? I was like, oh, can't figure out. I was quizzing Orion. And because... I had an idea of of a couple of films that I thought it could be from. Mm. And I was c- sort of confident it could be from Mulan. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't sure which character it was. Yeah. And then you pointed out it was the angry little one. Yeah. The stump, the short, stumpy guy. The get angry one. Yeah, the angry one. Harvey Firstein is the actor. Harvey Firstein. Yeah, he does the voice for Yao is the yeah. character name in Mulan it's such an iconic voice as well it though. is I was, that's why I was surprised you weren't getting it but it's it's because it's like it's got a grumble it's like a graph yeah like gritty grumble yeah. that's in his voice which is really cool because that mm. must lead to huge opportunities to like voice act and stuff like surely I mean he does yeah he's a comedian as well and oh, all right. these things it's kind of a funny story how he got the parks. I think he he had met Robin. I think he always thought it'd be fun to play Robin Williams's brother in something. And I think through yeah. the grapevine, he managed to figure it, like he found out that Mrs. Datvi was a thing that was happening. Yeah, and that they were looking for the role of the brother. Yeah, and then he literally bumped into Robin one day and was like, "I want to play your brother." And Robin was like, "Oh yeah, you know." <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it was his final decision on the casting, but yeah. it's kind of a cute little story of how that ended up. His brother, the brother, is uh, in a gay couple. Yeah. Right. Um, which I guess because the whole film is set in San Fran, mm-hmm. it's always been progressive. Yeah. You know, and I mean, because it, it was in the nineties and stuff, and gay marriage at this point isn't legal, so mm. it's you know it's quite progressive of them to have a openly gay couple being yeah. being kind of I guess not seeing not seen as a bad thing. Yeah. You know, like they are. It's not like it's promoting you know being gay, but it's it's very accepting. The film yeah, is very it's like it's just part of their lives. It's yeah. not making a big thing out of it. Yeah, at all. exactly. And that's actually the best. That's the place we all want to get to. Normalization. Yeah, exactly. That's the place we all want to get to, where yeah. you know people of color or people who are quote unquote different or whatever mm-hmm. it is, they're just on screen, and you're not like, oh, they're making a point by having it. It's like, no, they're just there living. Yeah. The yeah. other scene that is iconic I think and I loved when I was a kid is it's a dino chorus line because uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's trying to um, he kind of finds time in his new job to play on the set because mm-hmm. he, of this television show like everyone thinks this show is going under and he just picks up the dinosaurs and I guess starts improving like mm-hmm. the whole thing basically I assume he improv most of it yeah yeah, yeah like Sure. What did Chris Columbus say to him? Like, Robin, um, play, 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 with the some, play with the dinosaurs. There's some dinosaurs going to do it. Yeah, he's like, it. okay, cool. <laughs> and then the head of the TV network or the TV company walks in and sees him improvising and then is like, I want to hear more about your ideas for kids' TV shows. Mm-hmm. And then that's when they set the meeting up, which coincides with the, the dinner, dinner meeting yeah. or the dinner date with Miranda and the family for her birthday. Mm-hmm. And that's why the whole shenanigans kicks off over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Bully. Also... You mentioned when we were watching it about the music, and mm-hmm. you you love it. Yeah, like it's a really just great soundtrack. It's really affecting, I think, just the right things and the right beats. It's mm-hmm. by Howard Shaw, who, of course, is the composer for Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. which is coming soon, that episode. Keep keep looking alive, yeah, people. Keep listening out for that Keep one. looking up. Yeah. Uh, one of my favourite films of all time. Mm-hmm. And a great Fantastic. composer. Yeah. So when I saw his name appear on the credits last night, because I just hadn't really clicked that he did the music for Mr. Stoutfire as well. I was like, oh, 
It's Howard Shaw. Yeah, and yeah. I like the music. Wonderful. Yeah. Happy there was actually there was a moment in it mm. that made me think this is fantastic, and it was super super simple. Yeah. You know when Daniel gets the kids mm-hmm. for the first time in his new apartment for dinner, and she arrives early to take them home. Yeah. And she shows him the ad that she's going to put out. Oh yeah. He changes the number. So that he can contact it and, like, yeah. be the one to influence who gets the, the job. The job, yeah. When he, like, changes the numbers mm-hmm. of it, the music coincides with his little, like, flicks yeah, of the pen. Yeah. And I was like, that's so good. He's taken up on those details. Yeah, it's the, it's the mm. details-focused nature of it that's really, like, really key and really sells it. Because mm-hmm. it accentuates those moments that are sort of not yeah. supposed to be... You know, they're supposed to be highlighted because it's a, a plot point, but it, you wouldn't necessarily notice it's a big deal. Yeah, exactly. You know, so the music's yeah. so good in it. Um, yeah. What do you think about it from a cinematography perspective? I know we mentioned about the first introduction with the court liaison and how that can play a role. Did you, what do you think about the rest of it, how it was shot? Or Yeah, I think it was all really effective and I liked, kind of kept its distance in a lot of ways where it didn't make things feel over the top. So, you know, when mm. they're having the argument and cleaning up and anytime they're kind of having arguments, the camera kind of hangs back mm-hmm. and sort of just shows it. And it, that's why I think maybe what doesn't feel, it doesn't make it feel really overdramatic and go, I don't know, reflect the character's emotions. Like it doesn't go hand-held and really close and like, mm-hmm. you know, anything. It, it keeps It keeps its distance. And I think that actually is very effective. And then it uses these push-ins really nicely. The first time you see her, there's like a the door opens and the push-in. They repeat that later when Daniel comes to be to look after his kids after the whole court situation all, has all gone wrong. When the kids uh, find out that he's back in their lives, essentially, which, which I, is a really nice mm-hmm. motif and shot. And then mm-hmm. they use this push-in again when the reveal of him being Mrs. Doubtfire happens at this crazy dinner party. When his mask is like half of his face, they push into all of the kids and Miranda and you just have that tension building. I think it's done really nicely. It's almost like you're creating a motif through camera work. Yeah. Yeah. That's what good cinematographers do. Right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and Actually, directors. in fact, I mean, maybe you or maybe someone, you know, in the whoever's listening can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Nanny McPhee took that idea. Yeah, I don't remember Nanny McPhee no. particularly well, so I can't... But, like, the, the the concept of, like, showing up at the door, the door opening, and then kind of pushing in as a reveal, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so, clearly Mrs. Doubtfire was setting a trend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it very much could be, obviously, harking back to other films we have not seen, mm. but who knows? A lot of people apparently had the criticism of Mrs. Doubtfire that was too similar to Some Like It Hot, apparently. Really? Yeah. I don't think I've seen some like a hot. Um, I have quite but a few times. It's I, diff- it, I do want to watch it. It's like a vague, similar main concept, but loads of films have that, so I think it's fine. Yeah, what, dressing up as someone else to do something? Do you remember, though, like in the early noughties, there were loads of films that ran with this concept. There was Big Mama's House, White Chicks. Oh, dear. Oh, right. <laughs> they, were, they all kicked off around then, I remember. <laughs> Funny. Oh, yeah, there was loads of... There was, um, uh, not the hot chick. I'm trying to think the other one that I'm thinking of. Ah, anyway, never mind, never mind. But, I mean, like, the film ideas, they're recycled and reused all the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I but it's just... who does it with an, an orig- a sense of originality and who mm-hmm. just does it well. Yeah. You know, and Mrs. Doubtfire does both of those things mm-hmm. incredibly well. It surely does. Yeah. Did you know that it was the second highest grossing film worldwide in 1993? I can believe it. It's it's quite universal. And that's what I was saying about it being identifiable. You know, mm-hmm. it's a theme of, you know, divorced, struggling family. 
Mm. I mean, well, not struggling. I mean, they're very rich, but, you know, like um, <clears throat> just, you know, difficult time for kids, basically. Yeah. It's, it's a universal theme. Do you, wanna, um, do you wanna guess which film beat it in 1993 for worldwide gross? 1993. Box office. What came out in 1993? I mean, it's by a director, you would presume. Spielberg? Yeah. Uh, what came out in 93? Schindler's List? No. No. I don't remember his 90s films. I remember his 80s films. What did he release in 93? Come on, a massive franchise. No. Uh, franchise. Oh. That we should definitely put on the list to do. Indiana? Nope. No. That's 80s, mate. That's what I thought, but... It was no. rebooted fairly recently with someone you do not like as main character. Oh, no, don't do this to me. Please don't do this to me. You are terrible at remembering anything, I swear. Yeah, I know. But this is... I'm not a filmmaker here. I, I just... I, mm. Oh. Just think of any franchise he's done. Yeah, but now I can't. Now I'm blanking. Now that you said that, now I'm blanking. It's over. The reboot has Chris Pratt in it. Yeah, but now I'm just thinking of Guardians of the Galaxy. Chris Pratt. That's not a reboot. No, I know. I know, I know. But that's what I'm thinking of now that you've said Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Waiting. I can't remember. <sighs> Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Don't seem so proud of yourself. You didn't do any help there. No, I know. Yeah, but I never associate Jurassic Park with Steven Spielberg for some reason. It's literally his film. <laughs> no, I know, I know. But I, I don't think of it as a Spielberg film for some reason. I Like, I don't put those two together. That's weird. I know, for some reason. Well, that's what beats it. But, you know. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I think Mrs. Doubtfire did exceptionally well mm. that year, obviously. And globally. It, yeah, yeah, worldwide yeah. box office. Yeah. Apparently spent nine weeks and number one in Japan. Wow. They love it, I guess. Evidently. <laughs> and I think, like, it just sounds like it was really fun to make. And I think it definitely let Robin Williams go wild with his improvisation and yeah. acting chops. I think he found it quite freeing, apparently, being a woman. And like, even on his, like, off days, he would attempt to sort of walk around publicly as Mrs. Doubtfire and just see the reactions and mm-hmm. whatnot. And I guess once you're in that costume, may as well stay in it because... I mean, it must be annoying as I heck. think he said it took about four and a half hours to do the full makeup and everything. Yeah, but how... Long time. But then filming that scene where he goes in and out of characters for the court liaison must have been annoying. Well, I mean, no, obviously you, you can shoot done. different things, but... Yeah, they would have probably... I mean, I'm sure those scenes took... A lot, like, was it a big chunk of the schedule? Yeah. And they would have just shot her bits... And then his. And the mask he was wearing when he was changing wasn't the actual mask they used because the actual mask they used was made up of different bits of prosthetics to make it look so realistic. Right. Not just one thing. But they obviously made one for those quick changes. Mm-hmm. A bit of movie magic there, you know? Yeah, a bit of movie magic. It is a great chance to really showcase prop designers, set designers, um, Well, it won, the, it won the Academy Award for Best Makeup. Well, yeah, exactly. Makeup design, all that. So, and it also won the Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture, Comedy or Drama. Excellent. Well, oh, no, sorry, mean, Comedy or Musical. Now yeah. that it's a uh, what you what did you say like top forty comedy of all time according to Bravo TV. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Very good then. There you go. Yeah. I think it's just it's it's an absolute nostalgic classic for me. Yeah. Can't go wrong. Fantastic and I think yeah, across lots of generations, actually, I think our generation, even generations a bit old, younger than us, probably still have seen it and hopefully connected with it but then older generations as well final thing is mm. what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes oh this is classic um, I'm going to say 86% you're a bit high oh a little 80, bit high 81 still too high oh really yeah um, didn't make the 80s 
Nope. 75. Nope. Too high. Oh. 71. Too high. 65. Too low. <laughs> okay, somewhere in between that. 66. No. 67. No. 8. No. 9. No. 70. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, He's in between those. He's right in the middle. Well, never mind. Yes, it's 70%. Tomato, exactly. uh, so the critics rating saying seventy yeah. percent, but that and then tomato, I mean, audiences seventy seven percent. Not that big a difference between the two, really. No, you know, it's one of those things with any nostalgic film that we have. It's always hard to see as well outside of our own experience. Yeah. So as a critic at the time, you might have watched that and thought, you know, you might argue that it's too much a bounce between comedy or a drama. I can't decide which one it is. Or you might think, was it really that funny? Or you might think, oh, I didn't like the representation of this. You know. There's those things you could argue. I mean, like you, every film. you love so. when uh, films don't, like, uh, fall into specific genre convention. Like, as in, obviously, yeah, it's a comedy. I love it. Um, but it, it, it's, it kind of balances, like, that line we've said, you know, between both genres. Yeah. I think it does it well. I think this is great. And, you know, maybe we're always going to be slightly biased with films we're nostalgic about. Yeah, that's But that's true. fine. That's the, that's the that's point the, of the podcast. That's the point so. of it. That's the point of it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of amazed you've made it through this whole episode without crying. I know. Anytime, anytime outside of a formal <laughs> conversation or some sort of like, like structured conversation, yeah. Cassie's Robin Williams gets mentioned. Oh, she's over. It's over. No, me. I'm just like, oh, it's too sad. So it, sad. It is sad. Actor of a generation. Oh, personal generation. Yeah, personal. what a legend. Yeah, Robin Williams, a legend. Rest in Absolutely. peace. Absolutely. Oh, don't say that now. No, I know, but don't say that. So yeah, but he's got so many films that we could talk about. But Mrs. Doubtfire felt like. One of those ones that so many people know, so many people have seen, and it is so iconic. Very iconic. Yeah. Stage play coming out now. Hmm. Interesting. Could be good. Meh, I'm not that interested. Oh, okay. Well, no, you're not interested. All right. <laughs> I wouldn't spend my money on it. If I got a free ticket, maybe I'd go watch it. No. Yeah. I'm not that bothered. All right, fair enough. You know, I'm sure it'll be fine. Anyways. Anyways, this has been another episode of uh, one of us filmmaker this has been a movie throwback of Mrs Doubtfire yeah um, I loved it loved this I love talking about it so it's always good let us know if you like a bit of Mrs Doubtfire yeah let us what know you if you like about? let us know if you like uh, Robin Williams as well just to his movies oh, who doesn't yeah I mean who doesn't realistically but uh, yeah thanks for listening guys and make sure to check out uh, one of us as a filmmaker on uh, Instagram we'll be checking out some more quizzes questions all over um, you can respond to those and Leave us a rating if you're listening to us on Spotify or Amazon or anything like that. And yeah. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.